us and because we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has a, his, this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My children, let us not love in the word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Our scripture today is about love. Love seems to be all over in the Bible. Love, love, love. Aren't you tired of hearing about love? We kind of talk about it a lot. Love your neighbor, love God, love one another, love your enemies, Lord Love, 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 blah, blah, blah. It's gotten so bad. I think, you know, and, and then the society jumps on board and just palabers about love all the time to the point that the word is almost meaningless, right? It's, uh, even you can't turn on the radio without hearing it. Love me tender. Love is a mini splendored thing. Love will keep us together. Love for sale. Love, love me do. Love potion number line. Love divine, all love's excelling. L-O-V-E. Amazing love. Young love. Endless love. Crazy love. Crazy in love. Crazy little thing called love. I love you just the way you are. I would do anything for love. I can't stop loving you. I love you truly. I love the way you love me. I will always love you. I just called to say I love you. I'm saving all my love for you, the best of my love. Put a little love in your heart. How deep is your love? Taking a chance on love. Baby, I love your way. Your love is like tipolo honey. You can't hurry, love. Loving me, loving you. Our love is here to stay. The power of love. All we need is love. Hooray for love. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop in the name of love. P.S. I love you. <laughs> of course, they're not all positive songs either. There is uh, I'm all out of love. You've lost that love and feeling. Love stinks. Love hurts. Love is a battlefield. Love, love, love. We get it, I guess. Love seems to be important. It's all over in the Bible. It's all over in our culture. But again, sometimes I think the word has lost all meaning. It's, it seems so obvious and I, that love is at the center of all that Jesus is doing. I, I wonder why John is so eager to bring it up here in 1 John why would he even mention it? And I guess I want to—I need to talk a little bit about First John, the, this epistle that we're looking at today. Uh, and most scholars agree that this epistle was written as a polemic 
against some false teachings that seemed to be infiltrating the early church. And mainly the false teachings they're talking about here are Gnosticism. And I get questions about Gnosticism a lot because it pops up every once in a while. But uh, this particular brand of Gnosticism, also there's a kind of a shoot off of that called Docetism, which uh, uh, the meaning of the Greek word for Docetism means uh, apparition. And it's this, at the heart of Docetism was the notion that God's holiness could not be contained in evil flesh. You know, uh, uh, for Gnostics, the dualism between the sarks, which is the flesh, and the pneuma, which is the spirit, was a battle each person was fighting to, to not give in to your own sinful, evil, the nature of your body and, and ugh, all that fleshy stuff was just repugnant and disgusting, but to give over to the spirit, the spiritual things, the pneuma. And it led to, to a couple of things. It led to either being obsessed with an ascetic purity, denying yourself any pleasure that, of the flesh at all, hiding yourself away, hoping, you know, loathing your own body and your own human instincts. Or it led to a kind of humanism that allowed for the spirit to be spiritual and the body to be carnal. And uh, as if someone could really separate the two. But. So to, the, to imagine that God would be the Word become flesh was way outside the realm of what the Gnostics would imagine. And they found that to be repugnant. That God would, would put God's self into a human body was, uh, was outside the realm. And they... And it led to some strange Christology. It led to some strange ideas about who, you know, what Jesus was. Some some said that the that the Holy, you know, the that the Christ of Jesus entered at baptism and left before the crucifixion, so that all that was crucified was the was the flesh body of of Christ that the soul had already left, or the or the Christ part of Jesus had already left. Others have said, well, no, Jesus is just a uh, like a hologram, right? And, and it wasn't really a person. It was just a projection or an apparition, uh, as, uh, as the word suggests. Um, and all through all of this, the goal of the Gnostic was to escape the flesh and to be fully spiritual and to engage uh, God in this way. And the way of doing that, the way to escape this flesh and it go into the the spiritual was through special knowledge or even secret knowledge in fact that's where the word gnostic comes from gnosis means knowledge in greek the spirit of man is imprisoned in the evil flesh of the body and only a special kind of knowledge can enable the spirit to escape from the body uh, the long way to God has to be climbed past all the eons and emanations that are necessary. And there are secret instructions, secret passwords, secret knowledge that get you there. At the heart of Gnosticism, there is this necessity for special, special or esoteric knowledge. And the Gnostics divided people into two classes. Uh, the pneumatikoi, the pneumatikoi, which is the spiritual ones, for whom such knowledge is a possibility, and to whom such knowledge is open. And the sukakoi, 
<laughs> Those who, as it were, have no more than an animal soul and for whom such knowledge is impossible and to whom such knowledge is a closed book. A Gnosticism of this sort inevitably and deliberately issued, issued into a situation where there was an intellectual aristocracy and an in, ignorant and unteachable majority. And it divided people up into those who had this special knowledge. Of course, everyone thought they were the ones who had the special knowledge, right? And then there was all these other people that were loathed and despised and at, at most disdained as just <laughs> the commoners, you know, the people who didn't know anything. And the consequences were quite clear. Gnosticism was the death of fellowship and its arid intellectualism killed the love at the heart of what God is all about. Ignatius, in his letters to Smyrna, said this, says of the Gnostics of his day, they give no heed to love, caring not for the widow, the orphan, the afflicted, neither for those who are in bonds, neither for the hungry, nor for the thirsty. They cared for no one. There can be no fellowship where there is an intellectual elite and the great majority of simple folk who were despised and where a man's aim is to know rather than to love. This, perhaps, is why John is so adamant about the Christian community turning to a life centered in love. So John, in this epistle, suggests many things to combat this influence of these false doctrines and, and suggests if you read First John, you see several tests that are given to, to combat these false doctrines. The first one is the, the ethical test. By this we may be sure that we know Him if we keep His commandments, if we follow Jesus' ethic. By this we may be sure that we are in Him. He who says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. That's in chapter 2, verses 3-6. through six. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right is born of Him. 2.29 And by this it may be seen who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God. Number uh, 3.10 The unique characteristic of 1 John is is what can only be called an ethical mysticism. Abiding in God and obeying God are one and the same thing. After all, the only real test of love is obedience. And John never forgot that Jesus Christ came to make bad men good. There is a, another test, a theological test, right? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit does not, that does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. One of the, one of the problems John was having was, was a group of people who said that Jesus wasn't really a man. That Jesus was just this hologram. And it was, a, it was core for the early church to recognize that Jesus walked the walk we walked and lived the life we live and yet was the fullness of God, the Word become flesh. And John says, well, there's a theological test here. If someone tries to tell you Jesus wasn't really a person, they're, they're not of the same community that we are. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God 
God abides in him and he is in God. You can see why that, in the face of Gnosticism, why that issue becomes so central to what it is to be Christian. And then there is a spiritual test. By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit who, has, who he has given us. 3.24, if you see the Spirit, Jesus is at work. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He is in us, because He has given us of His own Spirit. To get the great fullness of this, we would have to turn back to the fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John, and see again the greatness of the promise of the Spirit in the 14th and 16th chapters. How Jesus goes on and on about the Comforter and about the Spirit that brings knowledge. For John, the life of the, char- the, life of the Christian is characterized by a power that is more than human, the spiritual test. And it should be possible for the people of the world to look at the person of Christ and be compelled to say, here is life such as I have never known a life which I want to know desperately. Above and beyond all these tests is, of course, the test of love which is central to what John is saying throughout this entire epistle. By this it may be seen who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother or sister. And we know that we have passed out of death into life because we have loved the community. Unquestionably, the keynote of John's letter is love. And for John, the contest between the Gnostics and the Word-made-flesh camp is a contest between a belief system that imparts to an elite few special knowledge that separates them from the rest of the world or a belief in the center of God's activity in Christ is radical love that connects person to person and creation to Creator. A community charged with caring for one another above all other pursuits. The intellectual stuff is meaningless without it. Paul says that without love, we are but noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. It's so true. John calls us to love not in words, but in truth and action. And it's important to note that John is talking about the community of Christ here. The church, the early church. Not, not even just the, the world in general, but loving our own. John is saying that to be in Christ is to love one another as a community, as a church. John's Gospel expresses the same sentiment when it records that in his last hours, Jesus says to his disciples, love one another. By this the world will know that you are my followers if you love one another. What I hear in John today is that it's, it's not special knowledge that aligns us with Christ. It is not knowing all the answers. It's not knowing the right and true doctrine even. It's not knowing all the, all the things we think is so important to know. It is not our piety or our adherence to doctoral purity that aligns us with Christ. It isn't how good we are. Now that's not an excuse, by the way, to just go out and run amok. 
But our alignment with Christ is not about how good or pure we are. It is not our self-centered intellectualism that pulls us toward the Son of God. It is our love. It is our love not just spoken in words, not just sung in our songs over and over again, not just as a, as a tag that we put on the end of, uh, of things we say, okay, love ya, but it is love lived out in word and deed and action and truth. It is love seen in the hand that, that reaches out to support another. It is a love that's displayed through our prayers for and with one another. It is our love that's displayed every time, every time we come to one another's aid, every time we support one another in the things we try to do, every time we hug one another at a time when we need to feel it. It is a love that's displayed every time we walk with someone as they struggle, as they make hard choices and make hard discernments. It's the love that's displayed when someone comes and someone out of love, someone who you know and trust comes and says, I see that you're not heading in the direction you really want to head. What's going on? And how can I help you? How can I help you get better? It's a love that's displayed when someone hurts us and then come and we confront them with it and they ask forgiveness and we say, you are forgiven. It is that reconcil- reconciling love that happens over and over again. And what we're told in Scripture, what we're told over and over again by Jesus Christ is that it is this kind of love that separates us from the rest of the world. And this is another theme in 1 John. You can love the world or you can love Jesus, but you can't love both because they seem to be moving in different directions. And the only way the world is going to know that we have the Spirit of Christ within us is if we love not like the world loves, but if we love in that radical Jesus kind of love. If we love with that unconditional love that extends beyond this family, but at least to this family, when we can look at that person who gets on our last nerve and we can listen to him anyway, because they need to be listened to. When we, can, when we can get up even when we're tired and help someone who needs to move or, or needs some extra help, that's love being displayed for the world to see. That's loving differently than the world out there. The world out there loves your money. The world out there loves the way you dress and the way you look. The world out there loves you as long as you love it. The world out there loves you because of what you can give to it. The world in here loves you because you are the glory of Christ. And when we're able to look into each other's eyes and say, I see Jesus in this person. And for me to love God, I must love this person and these people. And it's when we can do that, and it's when we do do that, because I praise Jesus, I see that every day in this church. 
I see this kind of love displayed all the time. When we do that, the world sees Jesus at work. Amen? The world sees Jesus at work. Love one another. It's, it, it just rolls off the tongue. It's so easy to say. It's said so much that it almost is meaningless, but it is at the heart of what we are and who we are. Amen? You know, things are, go- are good right now, and so it's easy to love one another. But there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when, when you're mad at me, but you've got to love me anyway. Sorry. <laughs> there's going to come a time when I'm mad at you, but I've got to love you anyway. Not because I'm your pastor, but because I am a brother in Christ. Amen? There's going to come a time when this love is going to be tested, I am confident that the Spirit of God will give us the ability to love one another in good times and in bad times when it's needed the most. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, who has lavished so much love on us, love that has not any condition on it, But just because You created us and You love us, help us to love in that radical way as well. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus reaching out in love to a hurt and broken world around us. Help us to love each other when it's good and when it's bad, when it's difficult and when it's easy. And may our witness to this love that transcends all of our differences be a light to a world that longs for a new kind of love. A love that comes through You. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.